Welcome bienvenue, konnichiwa, ni hao jambo marhaba. It's time for the Armist Inquisition yet again, episode 261 on Sunday, the 11th of December, 2022. I'm Phil. I'm Ben. I'm Matt. And uh, we're very lucky to be joined down the line this evening with Ethan Indigo. How are you doing, Ethan? Peace on earth. Thanks so much, you guys. You're welcome. Nice to have you. Mm. So, uh, someone sent us a link uh, with you talking to NYP recently. Cool. And uh, I listened to a bit of it, and within, well, minutes, I thought, oh, wow, yeah, Helen's on to something here. <laughs> I'd like to talk to you. So thanks for joining us. We, we were just saying oh, before. I'm, uh, I'm appreciative uh, to be here, and I'm appreciative of her to link us up and, and listen to what I was saying. <clears throat> yeah, I've seen you've done a lot of a lot of books, and um, I thought sacred geometry is something that we've sort of scratched around the edges on, and it comes up every now and again because it sort of falls under this umbrella of esoteric subjects. And um, I thought it'd be good to maybe get your ideas on sort of the foundation of sacred geometry and where it comes from, because I know from personal experience, if you bring the term sacred geometry up into a normal everyday conversation you're generally met with um, derisive laughter, scoffing, sure. fluoride stare. <laughs> and, uh, is Harry and Meghan on yet? And, uh, and I, you know, it is a taboo almost to bring it up, really. Um, and partly because in my humble observation, it actually has kind of been adopted by way of a lot of new age um, streams and parallels that are kind of woo-woo, if you forgive me. Um, um, not that it all is, but it has this tendency to be caught up in uh, the selling of crystals on the corner, so to speak. Um, um, what, I, what I started looking at and what really struck me as being a profound way to sacred and not really enhance observational skills and one's understanding um, and really steady one's mind state as well uh, through what I call the four dimensions of sacred geometry. Um, In in geometry means earth measure. And that's why I mean that understanding the concept of sacred geometry will allow us to understand earth and reality, um, all that is under that a little bit better, potentially. Um, And, you know, actually, I was in Sedona, Arizona, which I call the metaphysical armpit of the United States. It is a beautiful 
and wonderful. Uh, we, we were mentioning earlier a cathedral in Salisbury. It, Sedona is a cathedral unto itself. It's so beautiful. It's unlike any area, uh, um, excuse me, any place in the area, it's, which is mostly desert. It has these mountains and these amazing uh, formations that are just kind of magical. But um, a friend of mine was just telling me her meditation practice and I'm obsessed with four, not just four dimensions of geometry. It's one of the things I'm obsessed with via my obsession with four. Um, but she was describing her meditation practice. And uh, as she was describing it, I, it occurred to me how it, what she was saying was very geometrical. And I said that, I said to her, as we were having lunch and she was, we were discussing, discussing things that that sounds just like the four dimensions of geometry to which she, she described what? <laughs> um, and, and so the conversation moved on, but I, it became uh, that night something that I couldn't stop thinking about um, because um, pretty her meditation practice and pretty much every meditation practice that I've come across begins with focusing on a point of concentration. Often enough, the very word point is as was in, in this meditation that she described to me. Uh, but, but often it will be a subject matter concerning a point or of focus. Um, so uh, to begin with, the four dimensions of geometry are points, lines, planes, and solids. And actually, if you're going to draw a sacred geometrical picture, you'll generally begin with a point, even if the, it's a line maybe, but usually people start with a point in the center. Um, but, but the beginning of a line, of course, is a point by, by default. Um, and uh, one of the geometrical rules is that you cannot have a line without points. And you cannot have a plane without lines. And there is no solid without planes. Yeah, this right? is a great point. It's like if you picture a line in your head, think of it as a series of points one after the other. That's the Absolutely. simplest way. And it works the same way with lines into planes and then planes into solid objects. Yeah, that, that's it exactly. And in in a meditation correspondence, um, and and again, I, I don't like using the words all and never because it kind of, you know, there's always exceptions, but generally most all meditations are formulated in this same sacred geometry of meditation process. Um, the point is symbolic for concentration. The line is symbolic for connection. The circle is symbolic for circulation. And the solid or volume is symbolic or corresponds with what I call unity expansion. And 
and you know the in geometry and in this this meditation kind of understanding of energy a point can is generally considered to be a a play a, a, a place that may take up no space and uh, you know um so a point can be um just designated of a of a, a spot in space and off, we can also depict the sun as a point. Of course, it is a volume, right? but I'm just talking about how the energy of it can be understood, um, that the, the point kind of transitions into uh, a volume and a new point sometimes, depending on how you're looking at things. Um, and so... Uh, as I was researching this, of course, there's many meditations that depict this process, not overtly, not specifically, but in understanding this sacred geometry of meditation, as I call it, it's really almost explicitly there. Um, and and as I began to explore it, it, it seemed to me to be also a way to comprehend not only earth material but earth energy subtle energy if you will um and as i was looking to into it and through my already developed obsession with four it became obvious to me that this um sacred geometry of points lines planes and solids was in many places but among them being um the divination process or energy understanding lessons that are in the tarot and the tarot is made up of the four suits of course where we get our modern day playing cards from and the four suits are swords which is symbolic for points and staffs or wands which is symbolic of course of lines and uh, coins, which is symbolic of planes, and cups, which is symbolic of a volume. Um, and so I found uh, that there's many ways to understand meditation a little bit better and even comprehend what might be to some, uh, you know, considered woo-woo. When you just say like subtle energy, Oh, uh, this guy's on some selling crystals on the corner stuff, um, <laughs> or going to accumulators, right? So, but but when you, you when you kind of bring up ancient traditions and mathematics, then it becomes kind of um, well as hard as hard to argue with as other intangible concepts, including mathematics, <laughs> and it's, which is which is an intangible. Yeah, it's interesting. I was uh, looking on your um, your sacred geometry website, and I think on your home page you have the quote that um, Plato had carved in above the entrance of his academy at Athens. That's right. Let let none. Well, I, there's there's a few variations that I've seen of the translation or or of the uh, uh, phrase. Um, let none ignorant of geometry enter. 
And when you don't actually conceptualize sacred geometry, that phrase kind of seems like, well, this school is, you know, focused on so maybe they were imparting a sacred geometry idea in their system um, as well. Um, which, you know, to that point, one of the foundational symbols, I don't even know if I would call it a symbol, but let's just call it a symbol for simplification. One of the oldest ideas in the Western world is the tetragrammaton. Yahweh Haldabaoth. Yes, right. And 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 this is a Hebrew word with a Greek signification or name, right? And and the Greek name, of course, is for well, it, you know, as I understand it, tetragrammaton. One of the most feared words in the English language is pentagram. But not pentagrammaton, pentagram, not pentagrammaton, <laughs> pentagram meaning a five shape, sorry, if you will, but a five aspect shape. So a tetragram would be a four aspect concept or shape, but a tetragrammaton is something different, or at least the word is different. Usually when different words, they have different meanings. But if you look at that word etymologically, a ton is corresponds with or very similar to Asian. So it's tetragrammation. But we don't say grammation. We say grammar. So tetragrammaton, I think it, and th this is a, to explore this word is a taboo. <laughs> right? So maybe this is why people haven't mentioned this idea before, because even to say it for hundreds of years was a taboo, um, attempted to pronounce it, if you will. Uh, so, but a grammation, it, gram is grammar. So um, what is for grammar? Well, if you look at a corresponding symbol with the Tetragrammaton, it is the uh, uh, tetractics, oh. the Greek, the Greek triangular system of one, two, three, four, four uh, layers from Pythagoras. Excuse me, excuse me. Yes, yes. Thank you. Um, um, the Pythagorean comprehension, and 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 these are the folks who, of course, came up with the idea of. If you don't know geometry, you're not coming in. <laughs> um, and you know, there's a there's an idea of that four equals ten, and I think it comes from this tetragrammaton correspondence with the ten points of the tetractus. Uh, so um, the tetragrammaton is often depicted in a triangle, just like the tetractus, and I think that's where that uh, comes from. Uh, and also the triangle the, uh, the triangle represents the trinity and um the the phrase of god the four grammar represents the quad quad quadrinity or or quadranity if you will but um it's 
uh, which is the seven too, right? So all these all these numbers, I swear they all come from an understanding of the tetragrammaton as a symbol. Um, but I think also what is a in in this uh, tetragrammaton, as I'm <laughs> long-windedly explaining myself, there is the points, lines, planes, and solids uh, uh, correspondence in the yod he right? Um, um, and that's why the uh, the I think that in this idea the circles and the um, well an optimal volume figure is of course a globe, right? In, in nature, we see object. So that's why there's the two similar descriptions there. But literally, you know, there it, there's the point and there's a line in the tetragrammaton, uh, those four letters. How does that work? Because the V, the V is repeated, isn't it? Yes, and that's what that's what I meant to say that the that the V in that four aspect concept symbolizes the circle, the plane, and the circle that is the globe. Sorry, right, get you. No, don't be sorry. Right. Yeah, I find this very interesting. When I saw that you put the um, the Plato's uh, above the entrance, what was it, about being ignorant of geometry, it got me thinking about why, why geometry, why geometry was so important, because it was probably well understood at the academy that they were teaching the seven liberal, liberal arts, the trivium and the quadrivium. And mm -hmm. the way I've always thought about, if we leave the trivium, because that's just language and the mechanics of using language to understand the world and stuff, but when you think about the more speculative four, the quadrivium, the way I've always thought about it was that number was the the string that attached them all. So you had mathematics, which is sums and adding and multiplying and how numbers interact. Then you've got geometry, which is number in space. Third one is music, which is number in time. Music can't exist without time. You need to define the length of a note to be able to, for a note to exist. And then the fourth one being astronomy, which is which would be number in space plus time because you're looking at the celestial, you know, uh, whatever they are, Beautiful. lights. And they're in motion. And the only way you can measure that motion of the celestial goings on is through time. So I'm thinking about that and I'm thinking, well, number is the thing that unites them all. It's sort of what gives meaning to them all. And it just got me thinking, you know, wondering, because Plato's a lot brighter than me, oh. why Plato put so much emphasis on geometry, the second one? Why that one? Have you got any ideas? You know from well, well, I I love your conceptual understanding of all that first, um, and from what I understand, and uh, uh, there's the monad of the ancient Greek idea, right? And this is symbolic of God, and and what is it? It's a point in a center, and uh, this is kind of why I think maybe sacred sites are even built is to make a center point. There it is. Um, um, whether or not, what, what is the center in a circle? <laughs> well, you first create the center circle around it and you have it. <laughs> um, 
Um, and, and further, I think what the ancient Greeks, through that idea of the monad, um, came um, this whole idea of creation, which is in a, in a, a kind of mind, mental framework of it anyway. There's a, a lot of different ways to look at creation, but there's really points, lines, planes, and solids. Uh, just like geometry rules infer abstractly, but there's really atomic particles, right? And there's then there's sinews. There's a bunch of different ways uh, to conceptualize that. But, um, you know, creation, you have to imagine it first. Uh, and, and the monad, I think what they were getting at um, through the monad was that um, the point comes first. Geometry came first, right? Because first is the point, and then what's next? The line. And only then is there a one and a two, which, from my understanding, often enough, they didn't really um, consider these numbers because of that. Yeah. yeah. Was the first number. Um, um, and they hated two, <laughs> and there's the you know we we have feel so few um, understandings of what they were actually comprehending. One of them that we do have though is that they would spit whenever anyone brought up the doad, the two, the two, yeah, because of the either or divisive um, symbolism in that that no one of free open-minded really likes. The either or concept is something that really ignorant people are left to and that fascist institutions design, <laughs> right? Um, so they, they did not like the two. The one was of course very sacred. Um, and so after the, there's the point and then the line and then another line, you have then the minimal number of lines for a plane. And then with a fourth line, you have the minimal number of lines for a solid object, the tetrahedron. <clears throat> and, and from then, uh, then, then the numbers get going, going from there. But, but I think they were conceptualizing the literal geometry initially with the first couple of numbers and then numbers beyond that. Yeah, I was reading um, a book that's it's um, it's commonly attributed to um, Iamblichus, but I don't think anyone actually knows who who wrote it. Some ancient Greek guy, and that goes all into the sort of mysticism that you're talking about about the, the mm -hmm. monad, the doad, the triad, and the tetrad, and the sort of um, what do you call them? Uh, not um, we're uh, oh gosh, like it's a mystery. Um, Oh, were you like rabbit's foot? You have a rabbit's foot. Superstitions. Superstitions, yeah, the superstitions are out. Well, that's a, a, an ugly word to use for it because there could be meaning in a lot of this, and there often is. It's not a superstition's the wrong word, but a standard stition. How the yeah, it's about the mysticism that they but that they believed was incorporated in these numbers because these numbers translate into much greater concepts that allow mm -hmm. us to describe the world around us. So I can't remember the name of the book, but just Google Iamblichus numbers and you'll find it. You can get it on Amazon. For cool. I think I've, I've 
I might have been, uh, scanned it at least before it sounds vaguely familiar. And and I always look for the esoteric in the exoteric, right? Um, as as sacred geometry kind of reveals itself when you start looking at mathematics, if you will, uh, through an esoteric understanding. And you know, one of these uh, Pythagorean tales um, struck me is having, I don't know, having an esoteric lesson rather than um, a deduction that Pythagoras was very silly. Um, that One of their traditions was that they did not eat beans because they saw beans as being a point of beginning and blooming into a full potential of consciousness and even not only a human potential, but a God potential. And, and when he died, he was being chased. Um, I forget under what circumstances if, or if we know, but he came across a field of beans and it was either get killed or trample the beans. And he, and he died. (laughs) First man to be killed by a field of beans. So, and I don't know, I don't know, there might be a flatulence layer to the uh, <laughs> understanding of it. I'm not sure. But that's the so fifth I, dimension. I think there's something, <laughs> I think there's something to the idea of there's these infinite points that were confounding him, or, or, or there's a lesson in that, I think, beyond <laughs> that, just the, how silly he was. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Um, now, like, what were some of your biggest influences when it comes to this sort of stuff? When it comes to like what you've learned in your researches, is this is there certain books that you've gone back and reread because there was so much in them, or, or what? Certain individuals who um, sort of helped you research more than others? Well, uh, Manly P. Hall is an exceptional resource. All of his work is um, really profound, and I I really um I, I not not necessarily designed after him but in exploring his creations and discussions so much he really is about unifying um, many different traditions and unifying humanity in, in in that idea and finding through that in in that finding what are the really powerful principles these lessons of diversity and and bringing things together so that's one thing i find that i like to do but i didn't necessarily know that i like to do it and until after having done it so much is really bringing together what is often seen as diversity um but uh yeah manly p hall um Passio's lectures are amazing. Mark Passio, um, they're they're a great contrast in the sense that Manly P. Hall is very much not aggressive at all, and Mark Passio is maybe, if anything, too aggressive. <laughs> um, but he has a, a great um, level of bringing together the wisdom of the world um, and and you know finding. Finding, you know, that power in humanity rather than 
promoting a specific origination concept or a, a specific ism. I'm, I'm definitely, I find as I've grown, I've become anti-ism. Good point, yeah. Um, now then, you would, you know, we were talking earlier about a point being an infinite number of, sorry, a line being an infinite number of points and then a plane being an infinite number of lines and a solid being an infinite number of planes. What would an infinite number of solids look like? Would that be the fourth dimension? Well, it could be, but I think what happens is there's really one in in that sense when there's, uh, I mean, you could consider planets as being their own uh, solid or even a rock as being its own solid or volume or a cup. Um, but really, I think um, everything is the universe, right? The the one uh, entirety. And we see science, you know, verifying this, being confounded by thought, uh, being able to be faster than light, right? And to be able to affect light. And so really in this this idea of unity expansion related to the fourth dimension, it's its really a matter. Not only do we feel connected to people, but it's, you know, from where does intuition derive? And, and that divination practice of tarot, which is really arguably based on the four dimensions, as I referenced earlier, is, is about um, intuition, right? Um, even the learning of what the cards might offer someone at a time without a reading, so to speak, but just looking at the life lessons uh, uh, through through these images, um, and then you know being able to um, just grasp intuition is, I think, the idea, not necessarily the cards, and this understanding of sacred geometry helps. Um, one thing I found in exploring for that wherever there's theory, there's often an unsaid, even silent and removed fourth aspect. And of course, there's what I call the trinity of time, which is really inarguable, past, present, and future. But from where does intuition arrive? Definitely anyone who's experienced it, I assume you guys have, even the flickers of it, this comes from a place of timelessness, right? And so this is that silent fourth dimension I propose of time. And that's from where intuition, I think, arrives from. It definitely doesn't come from the past. It's you know, you know, it's not necessarily something we might have even been seeking in that present moment, um, but it might relate to all past, present, and future. But it kind of has a feeling that's different, and and that's I think where intuition, um, uh, you know, arrives from, if you will. And again, that's just a conceptual idea, not necessarily provable, um, you know, thought literal literal idea it kind of makes sense that whatever dimension you happen to be living in 
you can always perceive at least one face of the next dimension. And that's how you concept it within your own dimension. So it kind of makes sense that if time is three-dimensional, you would be able to get sort of snapshots of something that that exists beyond time, beyond the three dimensions of time you mentioned. And maybe that's where it comes from. Yeah, Yeah. maybe maybe four's not enough dimensions. I mean, string theory references 11 spatial dimensions. Obviously, none of that's proven. But, um, you know, some of this idea that intuition comes from from somewhere, you know, there doesn't have to be 11 dimensions, does it? There could be an infinite number of of spatial dimensions that that we don't fully understand, which is just mind-blowing to me, to be frank. (laughs) It, it is, and and I don't ever like to limit my perspective via four-dimensional conceptuality, if you will. Um, I like to use it to find X, Y, and Z, right? Um, in that, like the reason that the Pythagoreans would spit when they heard anyone mention concepts, right? There's actually... Uh, um, in a mathematical sense, but that has a philosophical and, um, you know, rational conceptual parallel that is an inarguable, there is the thesis and the antithesis, um, excuse my lisp, there's the A and the B, right? Mm-hmm. And there's the synthesis, the AB, Right. And and definitely the United States government predominantly works by way of this. There's the one bad idea, the other bad idea. They come up with a combination of a really bad idea that has both elements. And I, I only half jest. Um, but but this idea also is referenced in the Hegelian dialect, um, but also in really primal foundational philosophy of ancient India. Um, that is at times called a tetralema, or at times called katskuki, um, um, which ha- again has the A and synthesis, the A B, and the X, the complete other, which could could um, to your point contain uh, you know uh, uh, seven other for the eleven dimensions or what have you. Right. It's really I call it the nullesis. Right. And and so they have the they have the thesis, the antithesis and the synthesis. And then there's X, which is the nullesis, something totally outside the darned monad dynamic that they're trying to limit the discussion to that (laughs) that we should all (laughs) that we should that we should all not stand for because it's a very limiting um, set of framework, right? Um, so the Katsuki um, idea, uh, A, B, A, A or B or A, B or X, total, totally mathematically sound way of looking at any inference as a base in a bunch of more ways to comprehend anything, of course. And best best to approach things that way, but there's never the either or, right? That's that's where we get mixed up and steered into a synthesis that they might have already reckoned. Yeah, only a Sith deals in absolutes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
You mentioned, uh, or was it Ben? I can't remember about the possibility of unlimited or infinite dimensions. That sounds fractal to me. Yeah, I mean, X would cover all that, wouldn't it? It's a, it's a yeah. catch-all. It's literally yeah. everything that isn't A or B or AB. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Bit of a cop-out. Yeah, kind of, <laughs> in, in that sense, in that, well, you could, one could say, <laughs> but, I, but I think it's more of a freeing device. As soon as we realize that, right, the Hegelian triad that everyone freaks out over is completely diminished. There's always X. Yeah. I'm not going to be limited by the either or foundational argument of Republicans and Democrats, mm-hmm. for instance, right? Um, or on a bigger picture, the supposed globalists and the anti-globalists. No, I'm not limited by that. I don't like either of them. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but it's it's ubiquitous, and especially in Absolutely. in, in their favorite tool, which is advertising. Are you a Mac or a PC? Coke or Pepsi? Mm. Sure. The dualism is everywhere. It's hard to escape. And and often enough, it is contrived as in the idea of hot and cold, right? Which is, you know, as we know, is a spectrum of of degrees rather than extremes. But we have our sensitivity that automatically understands these communicated uh, uh, poles. But... Um, I think I think it's a very simple way to understand things, and in that it's very safe. So we don't have to continue questioning things. It's A or B. That's where most people actually stay. So you, for a hot and cold, um, you've obviously got your degrees of warmth would be your A B, and then what would your X just be zero sensitivity? Well, I think scientifically, there is no cold. There's only lacking heat. Ah, yes, of course. Right? Entropy. So that's, I mean, it's it just is a spectrum. It can, they say, they, it's theorized that the reality can only get so hot and so cold. But we don't know that to be the case. But I, I'm, I, I'm pretty sure it, it makes sense anyway that there's really no source of cold. It, 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 there's sources of heat, um, you know, but, but again, sometimes we want to polarize things that are, it's just sets us up to now we, now we know, right? Because if we have a sense of the poles, don't we have a sense of everything? We don't that way. Um, and it's, there's a Zen Say that again, Ethan, say that again, doubt, Ethan, you broke all. Oh, Sorry. I was saying when we conceive the poles, we tend to be able to conceive everything in between um, in, in that degree comprehension um, uh, and, and, and beyond temperature, of course, um, and or at least we set up our mindset to be confident that we do. There is a Zen expression, great doubt, great awakening. Little doubt, little awakening. No doubt, no awakening. <laughs> uh, so I think um, when we're confident we understand things, usually we don't. And that's what they say about quantum physics. If you think you get it, keep trying. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, one of the things um, you were talking about that you've just rung me bell 
was the what's fa- what are famously known as the Three Monkeys. But obviously, you're obsessed with four, Ethan. So, what's the fourth monkey? <laughs> the fourth monkey. If we look at those supposed powers that be that would like to limit the mindset of people via such constructs as the aforementioned Hegelian dialect, they also would have liked to make us think that there's only three monkeys. They, uh, The institutions such as that would have definitely liked to be rid of the fourth monkey. Um, the, the most typically known of the wise monkeys are see no evil, uh, hear no evil, and speak no evil. The fourth wise monkey is smell no evil. No, <laughs> no, because and I, I, I've, it's actually it's a good question because I've I've contemplated this before. Um, it doesn't have the same um, um, ability to digest information and expel proper information. If we were like dogs and had an olfactory sensory of that nature, we might be able to communicate a whole lot through just that smell power. But but generally, it's not a means of communicating observation. Um, so the fourth monkey is uh, fear no evil or do no evil. And he or it holds his dantian or his center point um, as as understood in Eastern uh, meditative movements, Tai Chi, Kung Fu, and just esoteric idea. Everything begins from one's dantian, one's center. And fear no evil is unmoved. Do no, it, it, he does nothing. And, and the powers that be often would use the Hegelian dialectic to make people go, oh no, we have to do this because of it's very scary. And, um, and so the four wise monkeys, actually the only one that is wise is the one who looks, listens, and communicates mm-hmm. without being still by caused to move. Um, and uh, four is a homonym with death in Japanese and Chinese and uh, some other smaller uh, languages in, in Asia thereabouts. And um, it's similar to the 13 in the Western world where we wouldn't have floor number 13 on the elevator buttons. Of course, if you count it, well, you, they're okay. But same thing in some older buildings in the East, there's no fourth floor in in the presentation <laughs> um and so but before is a homonym for death in the completion idea because how many seasons are there how many uh dimensions of geometry are there well uh, to your point ben there's there's way more dimensions in total reality than just four there's way more ways to understand the dimensions of social reality, for instance, than just four, but it's it's a wonderful base, um, and and yeah, and there's also only four dimensions of arithmetic, if you will, for operations of arithmetic, 
Um, and so um, four tends to be this really base format to begin to look at things and begin to be that fourth monkey, you know, kind of seeing things a little bit better, sensing what's spoken a little bit better, you know, and, and able, able to speak on reality, right? You know, this is really, we're in the age of information, the information era, if you will. And we're seeing, I think this take place a lot where information moves so fast and I mean, you know, sometimes comes out even before the institution was going to have it meant to, like that, you know, we're, we're really able to embody that fourth monkey a little bit more, you know, by being able to, uh, he's not speaking the truth, right? When he's out there and someone isn't speaking it, they become this elitist archetype, the one who holds back on information, that third supposed wise monkey who's like whispering to his buddies, hey, I see football managers do that a lot as well. <laughs> they do, don't they? Exactly. Exactly. And they have a perfectly, obviously good reason to do so. Yeah, they're conspiring. They're... That's it. That's it. And it's a game and it's that's tactic. And even in a horrible military confrontation, you hold back, you might do that. But if we're going to live in a free and open society, those who are restricting information start to get questionable at the least, right? I call it Lord Acton's rule in homage to your countrymen of the past, who he, the, the biggest part of that quote is something akin to, how dare they tell me not to question Pope and King? These are the ones who need to be questioned because power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. So he was directly referring to the authoritarian, informational, restricting, and you know, so forth and so on, oligarchical groups of the past. He was saying, no, we need to open information. Yeah, it's the key to everything, isn't it? Wonder what uh, what what would yeah. be the um, the monkey who sees no evil? Is that a monkey who sees something that he knows is wrong happening and then what talks himself out of it or fails well, to act or what? A, a, a great way. Maybe this is too deep, but I think you and your listeners will appreciate it. Another set of four. Uh, that is a foundational philosophy that precedes even the Garden of Eden, which, of course, there's four first characters of the Bible in, um, um, is the allegory of the cave. And the allegory of the cave depicts these four archetypes wonderfully. Uh, the, the first two in the cave are the chained and unchained prisoners that are kept by the third monkey archetype, archetype or the captors in the cave. The chained are, are not quite there. They still need to be held down. They have some uh, idea that the figures on the wall 
uh, might not be, shadows, be reality yeah. in total. And and so they're chained because they they might get up. They're still yeah. still might get up. The idiots, uh, or excuse me, the the blind monkeys, right? They're the unchained <laughs> in in that respect. They don't even need to be chained down. They're completely transfixed with well, for instance, that either or conceptuality, right? Either it's shade or it's light, <laughs> maybe, you know. Um, Man City and, or Man and, United. The, and the fourth, uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, the fourth uh, character or archetype of the cave is the freed prisoner. And he he realizes that there's that he was living in a cave and the shadows weren't real and that the sun is reality and he goes back and tries to tell the chained and the unchained hey you guys are being played and they're so transfixed that they mock him and and you know threaten him with violence as the allegory kind of uh, suggests <laughs> Yeah, this is so, excuse me. So the blind the blind monkeys are completely transfixed with the fake reality in, in that allegory of the cave, which again it precedes the Garden of Eden. It it, it is, you know, uh, insidious in its cultural effects even up until nineteen eighty four and the Matrix and so on. How's it how's it before the Garden let of Eden? Let alone government design. Sorry. How's how's it before the Garden of Eden? Because it's from Plato's Republic, which had been, which would have been about three fifty BC. BC, right? Okay, okay. I, well, well, I, I, that's what I thought it was six hundred. But I mean, in the in the Bible, right? It's before that Garden of Eden story. Right. It's a great one to look up. It's so. Um, it's so relatable. It's it just gets you thinking because you pitch yourself as being the, the the fourth the prisoner who returns to try and drag everyone out, and they won't believe and, it. And we can see that in our reality. And of course, the great way to just conceptualize it is uh, TV. Um, and and I and I compare it too with the uh, Genesis story in the Garden of Eden because of the archetypes in that, right? Um, and actually, uh, this I will maybe I shouldn't, but practically all theology begins with what is this duality of polarity, the masculine and feminine, and God, and the detractor of God, or or the devil, often enough. But sometimes it's a subtle, less, less, less than, because the devil is always not equitable to God. It's always some schmuck, you know, so... Um, but but these four archetypes, you can say that Adam is the idiot. Uh, Adam is the blind monkey because he literally just, oh, what did you say? I'll do that. Oh, you said something different? I'll do that. And, and uh, Eve is the monkey who's not hearing anything else but the story that she's been given, that being the last one. Um, and God is, you know, one could say the wise monkey, the fourth aspect, and the devil is the one who secrets the whole story. Right, the serpent who persuades uh, Eve. Yeah. 
Yeah. It's really interesting, this Garden of Eden story, because there are so many different ways to interpret it. Like if you take the Gnostic interpretation of the Garden of Eden story, it's just completely polarizingly different from the from the traditional one because they they say the they, they say see the serpent as the the fount of wisdom you know she, he he's right in the end he's got, uh, mm-hmm. god says if you eat of the fruit you will surely die and the serpent says no 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 you'll be right you'll be right and they survive and it makes you think but they do die eventually yes and i think that they were maybe immortal before the mm-hmm. the discretion so i think maybe that's a common argument i hear about the the gnostic uh, bashing the Gnostics about the Garden of Eden story, they say uh, that God was wrong. God was proved incorrect because they didn't die when they ate the forbidden fruit. And I think, well, no, 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 because they do die. And I'm pretty sure they're meant to be immortal before then. Mm, interesting. And it's very interesting because every other tradition around the world refers to that serpent or snake energy as being related to wisdom. And even the Bible does itself, a serpent and gentle as a dove, right, um, is is one of the expressions um, from the Bible. So, yeah, there is there is I think that layer of interpretation uh, that's that's valid to contemplate. What's like your? And sometimes as we go, please. No, it's no, all right. No. It's okay. We're we're dealing. We've got like a two second delay. I think so. It's making a bit. Uh... Yeah, yeah, I apologize. I was just going to ask yeah. you, like, how how your research and, you know, writing your books and stuff is, has coloured your your sort of ideas on theology and about creation or God, for lack of a better word. Uh, well, I saw a great picture the other day that I find really reflected one way to perceive it. I, I find that my perspective on that is shifting um, a lot, but I, I enjoy a Taoist if I'm gonna be an ist or an ism. I, I really like the Taoist kind of interpretation of energy in reality, happiness and God. Uh, but, you know, one, this, this meme that I saw the other day, it had um, a container within a container within a container. And the first container within the three was religion. And it was in another container, which was spirituality. And of course, these were both in a third container of consciousness. So I think there's a level of understanding of God's godliness, religion, and certainly the allegory that is in the Bible and other uh, spiritual theological text that is esoteric in nature that is meant to help us better understand ourselves and reality quite simply um, rather than um, talking about a, a specific dogmatic God. Um, yeah, the thing that always turns me off with sort of organized religion is that it, it's run by blokes, man generally and we know that men are all corruptible and uh, as what Solzhenitsyn said the line between good and evil runs through the center of everyone's heart and uh, when with uh, influence and power and wealth I mean I'm not picking on the Catholic Church but if you look at the Catholic Church you know the way they dealt with 
heresy from you know the fourth century onwards, Albigensian crusade and all the rest of it, uh, all done in the name of God. And you can, you know, same story goes for any of the big five or any other religion. It seems that that's the root of the problem is that there's there's always going to be um, malevolent people wanting the power and the money and the control and and then dictating these absolutes. And my sort of idea is I, I don't believe as soon, as soon as someone thinks they have they know something and they're dogmatic in that sense, it just completely turns me off because we really don't know anything. I I agree completely. And just living as an observer has led me to have a great disdain for religious institutions, especially those on further consideration that are monolithic and that being monotheistic. Right, because it, let's just look at monotheism from a philosophical perspective, and actually just an observational understanding. Um, monotheism is more actually um, there's it's not that there's one God, because they all admit worshiping the same one God, the big monothe, the big three monotheists anyway. And it's so it's really more one way to perceive God. And so as soon as you start getting into that monotheistic programming, you actually create what the Pythagoreans would spit unto and about. Because when there is one, that creates all those other folks. The the us and the them. So it immediately creates a doad of really quite horrible uh, historicity, if, if you will. The last three, a thousand years, 2,000 years, has been directly traceable to monotheists and, and the monolithic by extension fighting and perpetuating their their idea with insistency. So I, I've begun to consider exactly what you just mentioned um, with more specific guilt, if you will, at the monotheists rather than religious, because they lead us, no matter what, even the best monotheist would eventually be wrong. If there's one way to move a refrigerator, eventually you'll find a house where you need to do it a different way. But you only have one way, and then it's wrong. <laughs> For instance, excuse yeah. my simplification, but, but monotheism is very much like that. There's one way to perceive God. And if we look at some in the day where monotheism was kind of disrupted, you had one-wayism in the state. This monolithic idea in many states is directly traceable to the horror consciousness that is this monotheistic insistency that there's one way to perceive. Um, so I, I really um, I agree with you 100% and and that this monolithic monothematic thinking that is extended from monotheism is a big problem 
Yeah, I mean, I don't want to um, shit on religious people at all. Exactly. And um, I think it's, it's it comes down to individuals. I mean, if you go back to ancient Rome, uh, ancient Rome carried out all sorts of atrocities with the backing of paganism and a multi-god religion. Um, and if you look at the 20th century, the history of the 20th century, um, many of the millions of, of deaths that occurred there were done in the name of other ideologies that weren't particularly theological, like communism in, in Mao, uh, with Mao and, and Stalin, or Nazism. Um, so I, I think that... I, I, I hear what you're saying. I just i am um, reluctant to bash monotheism as hard because I think right, it comes no, down well, to I men. Mean, I mean more <laughs> what you're people. saying. I mean, I mean exactly what you're saying, yeah. that this monotheism is... Uh, there's an expression. Um, culture runs downstream of religion and government runs downstream of culture. Right. And so what I mean to say is that this insistence of monotheism that turns into the monolithic and monothematic with or without God, and actually, it, by extension, atheists are more monolithic than monotheists yeah, true, yeah. Right? so so and and so what i'm pointing to is exactly what you're saying the monolithic insistence it does not require religion but really such a power on our thinking that even the people who aren't necessarily religious might adopt by inference this monolithic idea. You're absolutely right. It yes. does not require theology, 100%. Yeah, I, I, that's great. To, I, 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 uh, I like that the way you characterize that there. I think it's just the nature of our civilization that theology would be one of the earliest tools you, used by psychopaths in our past to uh, weaponize property and uh, influence and power and that sort of thing because of because of the nature of us and we're sort of questioning ourselves and our reality what it what happens after we die we're the only species who thinks about questions like this and the that leaves the door open for a theology to come in give you all the answers pay 10 percent please to the temple every month whatever so it was just one of the earliest tools that was developed, I guess, and that's why it's had Absolutely. such a historical impact over the last, you know, well, probably for as long as there have been people. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, well said. Yeah. And and you know, some one understanding of magic is just steering the psyche, right? So I mean, whether it was once we can see this steering of the psyche occurring. And you might even call it a magical proportion because people get really into a zealous state. You know, often enough, they're, they're so spellbound, you know, by, by certain narratives, if you will. Well, it, could, it could be something as simple as watching a football team. You know, in the UK, we had a big problem with hooliganism, more so in the sort of late 70s, early 80s, I guess, was when it was at its worst. And in Italy, it's even worse. You think of the, uh, was it the ultras? Of course, the ultras, aren't they? Yeah, for the teams in in Rome, Lazio, and Mm. these places. And uh, it's like, it's mainly young men with nothing better to do. And uh, they can just 
I don't know what it is. What it what it is that makes guys do this sort of it's like a tribal thing, you know, it's us against them. It's the same duality. It's I'm the red team, you're the blue team. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Ethan, we've done it yeah, over an hour already. Young men, you know, to where if they're not sorry. Sorry, it's the uh, it's the delay. I was just saying we've done over an hour already. Oh, oh. Uh, uh, yeah, I was just saying, um, yeah, what young young men, if we're not given a battle to fight, hopefully a proverbial one, hopefully one that's very much akin to the biblical idea of building a tower, right? If a young man doesn't have a mission of building, he will fall into fighting. Uh, there's that idea if you uh, uh, if you if you uh, fall for something you'll fall for anything or whatever right and if you don't stand for something even worse you'll stand for anything right you'll stand for a football team and take on strangers for no other reason yeah so um, if we give people something proper to stand for I find they won't get into this um, you know what is a bad pattern of fighting for nothing. Yeah. Oh, that's a great point. Um, right. Ethan, we've done over an hour. Uh, the link will be in the show notes. Is there anything you want to leave us with or anywhere in particular you want to point people to? Uh, well, I got that, uh, geometry of energy website. I have books on Amazon. I'm working on a new book to continue my obsession with four called the fourth initiation and uh yeah i can be found on all the social media and all that i don't think anyone's faking me yet even excellent so, when's when's that book going to be out uh four four of course will <laughs> <laughs> not have it any different mm, brilliant okay well we're going to sign off for uh for part one stay on the line for us ethan for a minute while we play ourselves out thank you gentlemen it's been Peace a pleasure Thank you. Fantastic, mm. Ethan. Thanks. Mm. The rest of you in podcast land will be back after a short break in 15 minutes or so. Part yeah. two. Okay. Sayonara. Bye. 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 So if you join the Discord and you want to send us a draft excluder, that would oh, be yeah. excellent. Or a heavy curtain. And 20 to 30 tape measures. And about two foot of um, curtain rail. Yep. That would sort us right out because I am fucking freezing. Just a pound for an hour of heating. Mm. Yeah, I'll turn the, the heater off at the start of the podcast by accident. Accident. And uh, it went bolted pretty quick. Ben's gone into old man mode. <laughs> He's got his gloves and his woolly hat on. Yep. I'm in a T-shirt because I'm a Scythian warrior. I'm yeah, just I, don't know, cold. I don't really know how you're managing because I'm freezing. I've just been out for a fag as well. I know. Yeah, you did put, you did wrap your hoodie around your shoulders like you were promenading in the uh, <laughs> an accord d'azur. This is what I'm dealing with. Limp dick city. Limp dick city. <laughs> I was hot, hot blooded. At least I'm not. I'm not wearing a woolly hat and gloves. Oh, I am. Right, okay. that was our chat with Ethan Indigo. Yeah, I, I mean, um, kind of lost me a little bit, but you know, it's all nah. quite interesting. I think also I was um, probably experiencing brain freeze, <laughs> um, so you know, I was preoccupied with trying to turn the heater on about three times and I couldn't figure out how to do it. Figure out how to do it. No, no. two knobs there is.
There's two knobs. Flummoxed. Yeah. You were looking for the AB well, knob. I thought I was looking for... X knob. X knob. See, I used to have one of these oil heaters in my youth. And uh, it had switches. So you turned it for its turning. And then it was two switches for one bar, two bar. Or three. Yeah, but... That, that is switches. It's just a different format. Yeah, switch. exactly. That's what I mean. But it was a twirly knob rather than the switch. A pressy switch. Right. So that just, you know... Push to make, push to break. Yeah, I couldn't even oh. tell that it was like a turny thing. I can, t- I can kind of see it's a turny thing. Turn is a twat? Yeah. Turn is a ghost. Yeah. Oh, yeah, French. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Matt, <coughs> uh, links in the show notes if you want to check out um, Ethan's Sacred Geometry website, his Weebly site. And yeah. uh, it's loads of books, loads of books on sale. Right. Yep. Uh, look forward to the fourth dimension one. On the fourth of the fourth. Do you, do you believe that I got through that episode without mentioning PDU Spensky's <laughs> fourth uh, new model of the universe and his chapter on the fourth dimension? It's mad. You I mean, you do well. t- you do mention that one a lot in in terms of you not being able to understand it or read it. Um, but that's about it. And then you slip it into every conversation that we have. Did it? No, did I? No, we got a, a couple of mentions of Manly Peahole, though. Yeah, Manly, Manly Peahole. It can't be a real name. Yeah, <laughs> really uh, top-notch esotericist, mm. Manly P. Hall. Um, Graham from America. they narrated one of his biggest tomes. Mm. You can uh, get the buy the audio book. Right, right. okay. Can't remember, you know, grahamerica.ca slash audio books, it might be. I don't right. know, but you go to Grahamerica's site, they'll have a link to the, their audio books. Yeah. And they've done, like, Blavatsky and stuff. So, uh, yeah, if you if you want to listen to, I don't know why we're plugging Grimerica. Have they done the Harry oh, Potter series? Yeah. No, well, I think no, there might be. I think now. someone else might own the rights to that. Oh, right, Schmites. That, row, that Rowling woman. You might see him tomorrow, Graham. Like in the flesh? No, they were. Oh, I did mention they were in in London not so long ago. Oh yeah. Oh, I might see him online yeah. tomorrow. I don't know if they're going to be at our meeting tomorrow night or not. Oh, okay. But, uh, I'm going to be there. <laughs> Gonna be yes. in a, a damn good mood because it's Christmas. Oh god, it is midnight though. Yeah, no. But you know, I'll be in bed. I'll be in my pajamas. That's, the way, that's where you want to be at midnight. Mm. Yep. Anyway, let's get on with. Capital letters. A big news story. Headlines of the week. Show me what you got. I'll shoot the juice to you. Just uh, shoot the juice to me, Bruce. And I've been abducted by 60 aliens. 60. <laughs> 60 <laughs> I can't read. They might have been the same alien. Yeah. <laughs> I've been abducted by aliens 60 times and have footage to prove they exist. Wow. Is that a headline or is that a headline? Square footage. That's why it's number one in headlines of the week. Do we get to uh, <clears throat> view the footage at some point? Oh, right. Should we start with that? Oh, I don't know. Or shall I te- you know, te- I'll some tease preamble. you? I'll tease you. It's only human to look out into the night sky and wonder if we're alone in the universe. But one man thinks he knows the answer and says he has not only met alien- aliens, but fought in an intergalactic war too. Wow. Russ Kellett has spent oh. the last 30 years as a, quote, super soldier, fighting in a war between different alien species. 
The 58-year-old has shared footage of what he claims is proof that there is life beyond Earth. We've got a picture of, uh, of Russ here. Uh, it does look like a super soldier, to be honest. Yeah? I mean, yeah, I, I, <laughs> I imagine all super soldiers wear tie-tie, um, long-sleeve T-shirts, and a denim waistcoat. Is that a Georgian flag as well? It is, isn't it? Yes. I think so. Map of the, uh, you know. Oh, the, oh, here we go. What's wrong with his? What's wrong with his middle finger? Oh, it's blue at the end. Is that? Has it got space gun? <laughs> has, <laughs> it, has it got a um, what do you call it on a plaster? A thimble. It's, uh, mm. No, it's an ET job, isn't it? Yeah, it's glowing. Mm. Why has he ripped the collar off his denim bodkin? <laughs> Gilet. What's that damaged in the intergalactic war? Do you think? I would have thought so. <laughs> Maybe when he was tussling with a... Yeah, he was grabbed by the scruff of the neck by a mm. xenomorph. Mm. Oh, jeez. I mean, Denim would be my choice of armour, I think. He's mm. done some uh, some artist renditions of... Oh, yeah. I mean, they're not bad drawings, though, are they? That guy on the left, I've seen him before. Oh, yeah, he's that. He's like... like that, him, isn't he's it? like that guy, but... Maybe like 20 years <laughs> earlier yeah, and sporting 60 less pounds. Wow. Where's his tie-dye, though? Mm. Oh, it's on a checkered floor and there's a pillar uh, pillar at the back. Yes. What does that tell you? Checkerboard floor? Masons. Uh, masons. And the pillars means... Well, Job. No. Sorry. <laughs> Jachin and Boaz. That's the one. Yeah. There's only one pillar I see and then a refrigerator. <laughs> <laughs> or, is, or is it the door? No, it's definitely a refrigerator. I think that's a space door. <laughs> space door. Mm. Space door. It's done well. It's quite a small room, though, for mm. three three guys to be in. Well, you can't but see what's that gun, behind. It's holding that gun pretty high. If it goes off, that that middle lad's had it. I mean, do you reckon that other guy's his mate with the same gun? Are they on the same team? Is that a prisoner, do you think? Yeah, I think he's got a collar around his neck, hasn't he? That's the, the middle guy. It looks like a, a side eye. kind of looks like a rough... You know, like a medieval rough, rough. or a, you know, fifteen yeah. hundreds rough, or whatever. Dun, 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 dun. <gasps> oh yes, now we're talking. That looks a bit rushed, that Russ. Lizard people everywhere. Yeah, yeah, it's a sketch that quickly, didn't he? It's done like an e-fit, like a, an e-fit of one of his uh, alien encounters here. Do you reckon okay. that mouth opened really wide, like blade style? I mean, he looks really tired, doesn't he? Oh, just Not the alien. The alien or Keith. The Keith. Russ, sorry. <laughs> Russ Kellett. Russ. Yeah, so, he does look tired. Mm. I'll carry on with the story, eh? Um, I discovered the footage after doing a clear out of my files. It was late one evening when I put the bins out after finishing <laughs> my tea when I suddenly spotted this giant red orb of light being chased by two jet fighters. Ooh. The orb vanished into a cloud with the jet fighters coming out the other side but I never saw the red orb again. I decided to go back out and investigate with my camera, keeping my eyes on the skies as well as I walked towards the coast. I spotted the fighter jets again and realised they were heading towards what looked like six floating lights in the sky. Couldn't believe what I was seeing. The author from North Yorkshire filmed the orbs above the Filey Coast. Oh, it's a Scarborough way. Oh, we've been there. We? I've been there, yeah. Yeah, yeah and watched the strange lights for almost 20 minutes. He theorises that the alien spacecraft had come from a secret base below the North Sea. Got a video here. Well, a clip of it. What? That is the most bizarre thing. 
Can, can you zoom in a little bit, Russ? See the orbs. Hold still, Russ. Come on, man. Unless it's, if it's two planes in formation, that is unbelievable. Looks like planes. It looks like a kind like of two planes in formation. It's not like a well-known Air Force base in Yorkshire as well. Yeah, there's there's a few. There's the um, well, that giant toaster thing. Like I think what? I think nice. maybe Russ thinks that they're the two jet fighters that were scrambled to intercept the Red Orb. Uh, oh, I see. But yeah, that looked like one plane to me. One but, plane. Yeah. One. Yeah. Because of the flashing light. I don't know. I don't know. That was the impression I got. I don't know. I'm not an aeronautic guy. <laughs> um, he continued, I do think the aliens have a range of secret bases spread across the globe in the deepest depths of the ocean so that we as humans are unable to find them. So much has happened in the Farley Bay area when it comes to extraterrestrial sightings. It's really the only way that so many spaceships have been spotted. The sea base must be a very close to buy for Farley to be such a hot spot. Uh, after his incredible sighting, Russ returned home where family members expressed concern about how long he'd been gone for. Dogging. Yeah. On the way back. Did you pick up that milk? <laughs> <coughs> I thought he'd been only out for an hour, but my mum said it must have been much longer than that. Thinking back, I could very well have been abducted that evening, being so, so close to what was happening. I don't know. I don't... I don't remember if I did get abducted. I do feel as though there was lost time that evening, but I guess I'll never know. Maybe something extraordinary happened. Maybe it didn't. But I will not be deterred from my mission to expose alien life. Now I'm going to the battle. Can I, I've got a question. Yep. It's about time. Um, is this his first encounter or his most recent encounter, having had the all his previous experiences? I think this is probably the most recent. Right, okay. Why was he so shocked, mate? <laughs> well, yeah, well, let's see. Let's uh, find out about previous encounters. Um, where was it? In a previous interview with the Daily Star, Russ said, I've been abducted at least 60 times. The first time was when I was 16, when I was travelling home on my motorbike. I went through a tunnel that I'd never seen before. The next thing I did, I was in what looked like a dentist surgery <coughs> with 15-foot-tall alien men. That looked very much like Dracula without the sharp teeth surrounding me. Is that 15 one-foot-tall alien men or one 15-foot alien man surrounding him? With multiple, with 15-foot-tall alien men. Oh, right. Several. Wow. Since that first abduction, he says he has faced multiple alien races in battles across Earth and in space, explaining that four hours here can equal to four years in the spacecraft. Someone's watched Interstellar. Is that what it is, you think? think so yeah wow well russ you know mm. can't disprove that really <laughs> <laughs> shall we give him the benefit of the doubt what that he's a super soldier that he's a super soldier yeah yeah whatever russ you can be whatever you want to be in your own mind tank i hope we're not going to get drafted to fight oh, the aliens nah. Conscientious object to me. Well, you can't. You can barely. You can barely walk anyway. <laughs> you can, you... With your massive testicle. <laughs> yeah. Put, put me in a mech, won't you? 
We need a mech. He's, he's been balls and balls have been bashed with lumps of wood. We need some mech leg stats. Bloody NHS. Right, moving on. What's next? Woman mortified as dentist gives her three front teeth when trying to fix a gap. All I want for Christmas is me third. <laughs> the woman was left gobsmacked when her dentist gave her a third front tooth to fill in her gap teeth. That's purely weird. <laughs> so, but people have reassured her that they didn't notice. So she had a, a gap between her two teeth. front teeth, and then he just put they just put another tooth in the middle. <laughs> wow! Oh my god! I mean, that's a big gap. It is. I didn't really notice that. I mean, hang on. Yeah, that's wrong. <laughs> oh, they've done a good job. It looks neat, doesn't it? Yeah. It's one of those uncanny valley things, isn't it? That is a bloody big gap. Yeah, I'm just thinking how big was the gap? Oh, there's a picture. Link in the show notes for the story, and there's a picture of her with the gap before this the surgery. This must have been discussed. And, and he's mm. gone, oh, I, can't, I can't bring those two teeth can't pull it together. <laughs> what I can do is give you an extra one. You can live the rest of your life with three front teeth. It doesn't look horrendous. I mean, it's a, it's a little weird the more you look. Apocalypse but... <laughs> <laughs> says the dentist was watching Total Recall. <laughs> yeah, man. Excellent. Get your ass to Mars. <laughs> get your third <laughs> tooth. <laughs> and then get your ass to Mars. <laughs> Get your ass to Mars to get your third front tooth. Go <laughs> 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 <Co> Hagen! <laughs> Excellent. <sighs> Should so, we do yeah. another one? Is there anything else? I mean, it's just weird, isn't it? That's bizarre, yeah. mm. Three front teeth. I don't really know what, what, what else you can say about that. Transhumanism. Mm. <clears throat> What's next? Drug-free period pain relief brand Ovira told TikTok users their clitoris will disappear if it's not used. Ugh. Doctors say it's not exactly accurate. Not exactly accurate. I've got the video, I think. Oh, yeah, here we are. Clip, use your clitoris. Use your clitoris before it disappears. So if the clitoris is not regularly stimulated, it can lose its function, and this is called clitoral atrophy. It occurs when there's inadequate blood flow to the clitoris, and this can significantly decrease your sex drive. So make sure to use your clitoris, or you could lose it forever. Yeah, so the, the gripe that the fact checkers had was that it, it said disappear, which isn't mm. true. It can atrophy, and it can fuse to the hood. Whoa. So that so it, it in a set, in essence disappears and has no function. So yeah. Use it or lose it, girls. Yeah. I mean does that mean does that mean if I stop touching my willy, it will fuse to my hood and disappear. That's exactly what it means. I mean it's it's pretty much disappeared tonight, but for different reasons. I want this penis off my arm, please. <laughs> Penis to him, that. I want this penis off my foreskin, please. Lovely. Mm. Oh my god! <laughs> wow, I mean, yeah, okay. It's it so just a PSA, it's a public service announcement, man. Yeah. It's like uh, if, if you've got one. There was an interview with um, Brian Adams in the paper this week, just mm -hmm. like a, asking loads of questions kind of thing, you know, like an interview. Paper? And, uh, Are you like from the fifth century? 
partly. And um, one of the one of the questions was how many times do you have sex? And he said his doctor has told him he has to have sex, or men should have sex twenty seven times a month mm. um, for a healthy prostate. Ejaculate twenty seven times. That's now. immediately what I thought. Sex would be better. Oh, yeah. Because uh, you'd be fitter. Think of all the extra exercise. Yeah. Extra half an hour a week. <laughs> <laughs> extra half an hour. To have time. A month, you mean. <laughs> a month. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> wow. Uh, do you think it's true, that? I think, I don't know. It I mean, seems sensible to keep your pipes in order, doesn't it? Yeah. Shoot all that muck out of the old... Shoot the juice to me, Bruce. <laughs> yeah, all that glands. Just uh, shoot the juice to me, Bruce. What and... the farage? <laughs> yeah. yeah, you're probably best to get it, keep it, you know, fresh fresh and clean. Any kind of build-up of, you know, is it called calcius? Calculus? Calculus. 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 Yeah, I think Any it just build gets up reabsorbed. Of <laughs> reabsorbed. No, yeah, one it turns, it turns into big stones in your prostate, and Fuck. you have to have it removed. Jeez. Sperm stones. stones. <laughs> <laughs> Sperms don't come from your prostate. Oh, where do they come from? The testicles. Okay. Well, what comes from your prostate? Yeah, the vast. The deference. juice. The juice. Yeah, Bruce. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Apparently, it's the like matrix. fructose or something. I, I read fructose. one. Yeah. <laughs> High fructose corn syrup. Yeah. Like fructose, kind of. Yeah, it'll be a sugar because they need energy Based. to um, you know, wiggle <coughs> yeah. past the tonsils. So, uh, yeah, have you not? Have you never heard that? I don't know if it's a myth that um, pineapple can make you your semen taste nice. I've heard the myth. I've heard the myth. Mm-hmm. Never attempted to prove it. How much pineapple do you have to eat? I think you have to eat like five pineapples a day for a year. Christ. <laughs> for a, for well, a, you would. Um, <laughs> for a 10% increase in taste. Between that and jacking off 27 times a day. <laughs> <laughs> Time for it, have you? No. <sighs> what about if you if you jerked off with a pineapple ring? I suppose it's... Uh, interesting. Two birds, one, one pineapple jerk. Right. Skip to the end, don't you? Really? It's gonna taste of pineapple. Yeah. <laughs> Shoot the juice to me, Bruce. It's on, the, on the outside, mm. taste of pineapple. I heard. <laughs> oh, my apocalypse says I heard money improves the taste. Explains a lot oh. in my house. <laughs> cynical, cynical man. Money. Mm. Oh dear. I know. Probably mm. true, though, isn't it? Well, it depends. I guess. <laughs> Some people, maybe. I mean, imagine, you know, before money was plastic and it was like that weird fibery stuff, you could probably filter it through a wad, couldn't you? You could paper. Do you mean paper? Paper. You could. You could. Weird fibery stuff. Yeah. You could. Um, Taste you know, of cocaine. Be fil- filtration. Maybe. Through the paper. Right. Yeah. Get the, lost me. Just get uh, the pure water. Now I know how you felt listening to Ethan. Clearly <laughs> <laughs> lost me on the the sperm and the the notes. Yeah. Get back. All right. Should we uh, do some housekeeping? Mm, okay. Housekeeping. 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 
podcasts are value for value podcasts. If you uh, like this podcast, return some value. The myriad of ways of doing this, my favourite way, as ever, is word of mouth. Tell people, share the message, share some links on your social media platforms, your Discord servers, your Telegram groups, chats, your WhatsAppening WhatsAppers. Shout <coughs> it through a pineapple ring. Yeah, would that improve the acoustic properties thereof? I don't know. I don't know. All, like, all these experiments that no one has done. What are you doing, science? <laughs> mm. How else can you um, become a producer, add value, return some value to the podcast? You could leave us a review on your podcast platform of choice. Mm. And if you do leave us a review, we will read it out. If Fair we or foul. If we find it. It, yeah, we've got to find it. You've got yeah. to point us in the general direction. Yeah. You can do that by um, joining the Discord server, talking to uh, talking to people. Yeah, or e- emailing us at thearmistinquisition at gmail.com. Yeah, you can give us five stars on uh, Spotify. It's good for the Algo. The Algo. Uh, join the Discord. Um, you know, and as always, uh, Phil will send you a GIF. I will send you an in-house Discord GIF, and um, then uh, you can like interact with us and post links to um, news articles, videos. Um, you can make guest suggestions. You could even post show artwork. Mm, no show submissions artwork. this week, but I've done this one. Incoming, yes. incoming show artwork. There we go. Is that a cube <laughs> within a cube within a cube? It's it's what's it's known as a tesseract. A tesseract. It's a four-dimensional object. Who had seen it in a Marvel movie? Do you see, um, you know the words where it says 261 and Ethan Indigo? Mm-hmm. The drop shadow, do you know what colour that is? Jizz? <laughs> it's indigo. No, uh, it's not. Oh, yep. the drop shadow is. Yeah, sorry, mm-hmm. I thought the thing behind it. That's the production value that goes into this shit, man. The thought I found the exact color code for indigo and imp- impregnated the artwork thereof. Pantone. Creepy. Very good. Yeah, a bit weird. Yeah, you can uh, email us the show artwork or drop it in the correct Discord thread and we'll use it. We'll use it as a show artwork. Yeah. We don't care about pixels anymore, either, do we? Well, I can, no. I can then modify. Wow, magic fit. You've got to use it or lose it. Yeah. Like your clip. <laughs> That's what hmm? <coughs> Like the tip of your penis. There's one to clip for you. Have you in the sound bank next week? The tip. Like the tip of your penis. And Limp Dick City. Else can you become a the producer? You can buy some merch from us. Merchandise. How? Link in the show notes. Oh, that's not it. Oof. That's what the, the merch goes to. Here's some uh, example of merch. Link in the show notes for the Amish loot chest if you want to support us that way. Mm. You, uh, yeah. we get a cut of the profit, and you get something to wear, or f- or a vessel to fill with products of drinkage. These particular merchandise are designed to raise your core temperature. This one less so, <laughs> <laughs> unless you fill it with uh, some kind of pork-based energy drink. Porkville. Mm. Three weeks to flatten the earth. T-shirt. Mm. Literally a communist hoodie. Yeah. Not figuratively. Literally. Literally a communist. Mm. Literally a communard. Mm. 
I wonder why I don't have that on the soundboard anymore. Oh, do. 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 You must. I'm still getting used to this new box. <laughs> must and shall be. Got me this in. Anyway. Oh, fuck. Because I'm literally <coughs> a communist. I told you. I there it is. Somewhere. There's a 30-day free return policy according to that little uh, icon. Didn't know about that. No. Because they're mine back. that shit. Hopefully not. Yeah, we've got our people deal with that. You don't need mm-hmm. to worry about that because the quality is such that you would not want to return it no. under any circumstances. You would never want to be without it once yeah. you've had it. On your person. Fuse it to your body. Mm. Use it or fuse it. Use it or it will fuse to your clitoris. Nice. Right. How else can you become producer? Focus G requests. Oh, shit, we've got one this week, haven't we? How's Focus G work? So you tell us about uh, an aim or a problem that you've got that might require uh, some more chi. If you have your chi energy depleted, we can can focus some of our overflowing chi in Mm. your general direction into the into the prostate for the men yeah and all just all over the place for everyone else mm. uh, i like to operate on four dimensions at least with the chi spray um so you know get ready because it's uh it's gonna hit you you know somewhere <laughs> get a spider-man you we got a request from helen of troy in the discord again <clears throat> i'm having my driving test soon oh I need a super strong double espresso strength chi injection. Okay, oh, you'll be injection. fine. Is this a good idea? Super strong double espresso strength. I think this oh. sounds a bit risque to me. Yeah, you might end up at the moon. I don't know, yeah. Drive all the like, way to the moon. I don't. We don't want to overload people. No. I mean... <clears throat> Maybe you should go up 50%. <laughs> You got 50%, just to be, <laughs> just to be safe. You do 75. I'll, I'll give it 110, <laughs> as always. <laughs> right, I start looking. You lot is hot at home as well, by the way. It's no good if it's just us three doing it. You have to join in. Right, let's focus our chi now. Helen. That was tough. <sighs> it was tough. Was it? Mm. You only could do it going 50 Exactly, that's what I mean. I had to throttle it back, so that's what's dis- difficult about it. Yeah, right. You had to choke that chicken. <laughs> I had to choke the chi. Kitten. Yowzers. Birthday. <laughs> Maybe you've got a birthday coming up. You can uh, let us know and we'll say happy birthday to you. Yeah. I mean, I was just thinking before about the whole driving test thing. Mm. And if you, you know, maybe that's what happened on your first driving test. Well, yeah. someone shot you at like 150% chi and that's why you nearly ran someone over. Oh, did you? I didn't know this stuff. Ran a red light. <laughs> oh, no. Don't it's do a weird light filter setup. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> From what I remember, <laughs> I've not been on road before. It was somewhere near the dock. You've not been on the road before, and you no, took your that. test. <laughs> I hadn't, I hadn't navigated that junction before. It's not multiple choice. <laughs> <laughs> um, what's the best way to become a producer? <clears throat> it tosses a coin. 
Toss a coin to your Absolutely. Do it for the lads. 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 Yeah, because... Oh, we're northern and we're bloody miserable and the weather's fucking shit. And if you go to armistinquisition.com, you can give us a one-off donation, sign up for a monthly recurring sustaining donation, and uh, that all helps keep the lights on and the heat on. <laughs> the heater on, more importantly, at the minute. A pound an hour, apparently. Yeah, it's a pound an hour, that heater, yeah. It's tragic, isn't it? So, uh, yep, um, we appreciate monetary donations. So if you can, do that and save. Save Plotland. Keep the shit show going. All right, I think it's time to um, thank the producers and whatnot for this week. Big them up. I really am still getting used to this fucking thing. It's time to big up the man Dems, yo. Uh, If we've got producers for episode 261, we have Helen of Troy, Nomi Noznodge and Aaron. Thank you. They're so amazing. They are. Yeah. So amazing in their love. You you are extremely cool, guys. Literally. The best mate. Because I'm literally a communist. The dwarf. The gallants. The great. The homophobe. The winds. The base sigma chat. The chance. The number 11. The blind man. The big chungus. The cripple. And the mother. From hell. Are you retarded? I don't get it. Never will. Thanks for your uh, helping out this week. It's greatly appreciated. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Would you like uh, a Zeus update? Oh, oh no. Has he had to leave? No, he's not been rehomed yet. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mentioned on last week's podcast that on uh, the previous evening, Saturday, before the last show, we went out and Zeus got into the freezer and had a pack of sausages and two bags of oven chips and a bag of onion rings. And uh, we recorded the podcast on Sunday. Uh, went to bed, forgot about the freezer incident. Went to work Monday as usual. Came home to a fr- open freezer again. Oh no. No, 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 no! Two packs of raw chicken. <laughs> <laughs> one six fifty grams and one three fifty grams. So one kilo of frozen chicken he'd eaten. Excellent. <laughs> chicken pop. What a machine! <laughs> no. How's he, how he not dead? <laughs> How does he not die? <laughs> not even biting an eyelid. No wind. No, uh, just normal. Uh, oh yeah. Oh yeah. Home. <laughs> frozen. <laughs> frozen meat. I was thinking like E. coli. Yeah. Salmonella. Well, uh, you can eat it. I think. I believe he's kind of been. <laughs> don't. Don't listen to him. <laughs> no. Don't eat raw chicken. Do Wash not. your hands after you handle it. For danger. Sake. <laughs> well, yeah, they say that, don't they? But. You'd probably be okay. <laughs> You'd be it's okay. 50 You'd probably be okay. You probably. You yeah. might get E. coli. I don't know. So, oh, so, um, so guess what? Um, the missus got some some locks. Oh, like the, oh, yes. are they? Did you get? Are they doggy locks or are they like baby locks? She got them. I don't know. Right. Who the, knows what they are? Who knows? Just like a massive length of chain <laughs> and a padlock. It's like two little plastic things that, that self-adhese adhese mm. to the fridge. One mm. on the fridge, one on the door, and then a strap that goes between them. And there's a mechanism to open the catch. Mm. So guess what she did? She put fucking four of them <laughs> yes. on the freezer. Okay. 
Well, that's your, it's a, is that basically increased your cooking time by half an hour. <laughs> How does this work? It's like a crystal maze every time you want a <laughs> burger and chips. Right. Our, our fridge is next to an end run of units. So there's a, a last kitchen unit and a worktop and then the fridge. Mm-hmm. And I can barely get my fucking fingers in to undo them. Oh, you have got chubby fingers, though. Like Prince Charles sausage fingers. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like <laughs> Pitting them orange and it could be carrots. Yeah. And you can imagine they were your penis. Imagine. <laughs> I'm not looking for it. <laughs> so, yeah, four locks on the sodding fridge. Why she didn't just like try one at first? I don't know. But mm. uh, And it's worked. It's worked. He's mm. not got, he's not navigated the uh, child locks yet on the freezer. Oh, uh, shit. Uh, he could bite through them, no doubt. Yeah. Mm. could chew them off. But we'll see if he does that. Figures that out. You've got to figure that out, hasn't he? Grandpa's getting him a new bed for Christmas. An anti-anxiety bed. Oh, nice. It's got like, it's fluffy. It's fluffy and it's big and it's got like a wall. It's circular. And apparently it mimics like the dog curling up with its mother. So maybe that'll work, I don't know. You can get thunder shirts, it's probably not in Zeus size. They're like compression shirts for dogs that have a similar sort of thing. feel like they're being hugged. Yeah. My wife wants a weighted blanket. I was going to say that. That's something that makes you feel less... It makes you feel more comfortable, less anxious. It's the stuff of nightmares, surely. <laughs> yeah. To think. Nightmare fuel. I think a, I've seen an advert for a weighted teddy bear. Is that not on this podcast? No. I don't know. Yeah. <coughs> it's full of ball bearings. I don't know. Seems wrong. Well, Seven. what to just lie, have on top of you? Yeah. When you're in bed, what on top of your duvet? Are we talking about the the weighted teddy bear or the weighted blanket? blanket? Yeah, the blanket. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, he's like so. It sort of slowly smothers you. Well, I imagine it's it's slightly weighted, not like you know. I'm not talking like giving the boats kind of (laughs) (laughs) sleeping between two doors. (laughs) Yeah, it's not like two. You know, oak wooden door, <laughs> front doors. Stone for a pillar. With full ironmongery on. No, it's just a weighted <laughs> blanket. I don't know how it's weighted. I don't know if it's just like heavy darn. <laughs> <laughs> darn? It's a heavy blanket. Or it's like lined with lead or something. I don't know. <laughs> you know, like to like stick a leg Look at these things. I just go to bed and go to sleep. I'm not Ugh. like a, one of these people who... Struggles with that, like my wife, (laughs) with the the weighted blanket and someone cutting her hair. (laughs) Exactly, yeah. Gosh, what's wrong with her? Don't know. Why can't she go to sleep? She's not knackered all the time. She says she's knackered all the time, but right, but she doesn't do it. So how can that be? (laughs) Wow, I didn't say that. (laughs) She makes tea every night. That's called projection. (laughs) (laughs) That's called projection. (laughs) Oh my word. Yeah. My Mrs. Cook last week. <laughs> what was wrong with me? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, it's cut last Sunday, I think it was. Yeah, First time for like over a month. Wasn't the stuff the dog had got out of the freezer, was it? No, hopefully not. Hopefully not. No, I think it was a sausage pasta. Oh, nice. A chorizo pasta. Have you I've seen a thing where you put um, like hot dog sausages and you stab like <laughs> hard spaghetti through them? Just put the whole thing in the water. And you end up with like this weird <laughs> no? sea creature, spaghetti, hot dog monstrosity thing. Wow. It may have been on TikTok, but I don't know if I've ever seen that. 
It's um, there's, I think it's like a, I don't know what the word is, but basically like a site where a psyop. She, she de- yeah, she deliberately. I think she deliberately does awful recipes <laughs> in order to get people, <laughs> you know, commenting in disgust. Yeah, this is the woman who yeah she did some sort of like cheesecake that was I don't know. It was like you you couldn't believe what she was eating. She was like blitzing up like Twinkies. Oh. <laughs> All right. It's not the steak toaster woman, is it? (laughs) (laughs) I don't think it was. It could well have been. And this is this woman is the reason why I've had to delete TikTok off my phone. It was stealing my life. Have you got pangs? Did you get pangs after you deleted it? No, I've been looking elsewhere to kind of get my comfort and can't find anything now. So (laughs) addicted to Instagram stories now. So I'm having to uh, just read books and work. Looking for methadone in other areas. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, my dopamine hit. I was listening to a really good uh, Jordan Peterson podcast about. I think it was I that Nazi <laughs> about um, the most dangerous man. In it. Oh, that's the other one. <laughs> that's Hancock. He's misunderstood. Um, he uh, was talking to a guy, some kind of neurologist or neuroscientist, and he um, was talking about the dopamine dopaminergic cycle i think he called it it was quite interesting one and how to break it what is the dopaminergic cycle i don't really know i think it's like when you basically if you have a goal if you set a goal anything so they gave the the, uh, like a mundane example 27 masturbations a month (laughs) yeah and you achieve that that. (laughs) so by achieving the goal you complete the dopamine energetic cycle and dopamine is released so but you could do that so if you set a goal of like washing a cup drying it and putting it in the cupboard you would get some low level dopamine hit but he said obviously you would get more from completing like a graduate degree than putting a cupboard a cup away right but if you don't set the goal you get zero yes i think that was the kind of anything you accomplish you can assign it as a goal and then get a dopamine reward yes you can't accomplish anything by accident because there's no payback well i guess so yeah no but you go through your life just doing things Mm -hmm. emptying the dishwasher Mm -hmm. tidying up all these sort of mundane things that you have to do in your life if you actually make it a goal first then you're getting some psychological benefit or brain well i think you get i think you get that anyway I don't think you explicitly have to make it a goal. I, I think, thought that was the point. Yeah. What he's saying. Well, no, because it is a goal. Because if you just left it, it wouldn't be a goal. Because you get up and think, "Oh, I've got to do that," so it's a goal. Okay, now it's just tidy your bedroom again. You yeah, is to... it? Because that's why it was. That's why it came into that's where it. it came from. You know, yeah, but we talked about it in the podcast. Most of these things are chores, though. They're seen as um, something that's a pain mm. in the ass to do. Yeah, but that's you think so? I don't think. Like, if I'm reading my book and I realize mm. I've got to go and empty the dishwasher. Mm-hmm. That pisses me off. I'd rather read the book. Yeah. So if I just go and just do the dishwashing, oh, fuck's sake, right, I better fucking do this now. Yeah. Right. To me, I'm not getting any benefit from that as opposed to if I said, right, well, I know I'm enjoying this, but I have a goal that I have to do. I have to accomplish the task of emptying And the I will get a, a, a minuscule amount of dopamine as a yeah, reward Yeah, maybe for those this. things compound if you do it enough. They do, yes. That's the whole point. That's the whole theory behind behaviorism and depression mm. in a nutshell there. Light skin as rats. Yeah, but basically, yeah, you know, the, the idea is is that if you change your behaviours, it can change the way that you think. So, and there's, there's a, they did this massive RCT into it, randomised controlled trial, 
and they found that it it did basically so you know there's this big pushback against cognitive therapy essentially we're saying that if you challenge people's thoughts it will make them feel better and this other guy i think it's called i can't remember if his first name was neil but his second name was jacobson and he said uh, he did this trial and basically found if they change people's routines that their actual thinking and thoughts changed you don't have to challenge it but these kind of trials are kind of the very sort of filtered and only sort of a certain type of person will probably make it through it to be honest with you hmm. yeah they're always so limited in their scope yeah they'll get rid of ev- anyone who has any, like the possibility of like a co morbidity or any kind of severe or enduring mental health problems right the danger is that, is that they become inapplicable in the real world well this is the, this is of the amount of exclusions yeah well that's the argu- that's the an argument against um any kind of therapy that's been through an rct basically mm. and a valid one you're right because a lot of it isn't really it doesn't work for people truth is in the eye of the beholder well a lot of the times you know i speak to people and you and you say and you do all of these things and they just say well i know that but it doesn't feel any better is mm. the common refrain and that's where your third wave kind of therapy comes in just tell them they're not doing it properly try harder next <laughs> have what? you not tidied your room yet <laughs> what's third wave that would be sort of acceptance and commitment therapy and um compassion focused therapy so compassion, I don't really know a lot about these ones because I'm, I'm staunchly second wave therapy. And um, that, so compassion focused therapy comes from this idea of harsh self-talk. So this guy, <clears throat> I can't remember his name. He looked, it was like noticing that people talk to themselves in a very harsh way than, than in a monologue. Which, interestingly, not everybody has. And in a monologue. And in a monologue. It says 20%. Some research came out, I read the other day, and it said like 20% of people don't have an inner monologue. They don't hear it themselves, talking to themselves. That's weird. How do they think? Well, this is, well, and this kind of links to something that I heard uh, JP say um, in that he was talking about sort of like weighing up two opinions in your head. And that, you know, going back and forwards with an argument. And then he said, you don't take that for granted because not everybody can kind of do that. And some people just exist in the world and they just do one thing to the next, to the next, to the next, basically. How did they know that they've known a monologue? Well, this is the thing. I was thinking about this. Yeah. So and I was thinking, well, maybe they don't realize that this voice in their head is an inner monologue because how did they... Do you know what I mean? How do you prove that? I don't know. But that's what it said anyway in the research, didn't it? That's weird. I'd love to know, and this is probably something for another podcast, Matt, but what, what do you do with lost causes? How many levels of uh, of health are there before you go, right, sorry, well, to, you, to the glue you start, factory? <laughs> you start a club, and if you're lucky, you go to a club, you might meet another cripple. You might meet another <laughs> cripple. <laughs> um, what happens? You. This is the thing, I suppose, about therapy is that it's uh, it, it, it's unhelpful to think about it in kind of from the medical model, which m- means that you have a you, you you're given a prescription or you go through a, a treatment and you're cured or you get better. The idea, I suppose, is that y- 
you might get a little bit better, but these issues are probably always going to be there. You're going to yeah. find different ways of managing them. No guarantee of success, but we're going to do it anyway, <clears throat> and we're going to charge you a lot of money for the privilege. Well, that's the idea when I go private, yeah. yeah. But currently it's free, isn't it, for eight sessions? And the Can anyone I work for. Yeah, if you... Well, there's there are certain criteria, so you have to sort of like score a certain amount on these questionnaires. I'm sure I could score a certain amount on the questionnaire. <clears throat> Anybody could. I mean, it's it's so badly set up and it's so limited what we do to people now. Eight sessions. I've gone on about this before. I'm not talking about it again because it makes me mad. Eight hours Rich. or eight and a half hours? 50 minutes is All a right. CBT session. So around about, it's normally quite a lot of people it's an hour. Some people it's 40 minutes. It just depends on what how much you can get through. I heard you need 27 sessions a month for a healthy brain. (laughs) You do? (laughs) Well, well, yeah, this is the other thing. Like the guy who sort of did cognitive therapy would see, if people were depressed, he would see them twice a week initially and then once a week and then he would wean them off and then he would do top-up sessions. It's just no, you can't have that flexibility in the NHS and that's the issue with it. And that's why working privately is far more appealing. Well, what are you guys doing on December the 23rd? Oh, is that the Mayan end of the world again? No, that's oh. that was winter solstice 2012, wasn't it? Well, I missed it. <laughs> 21st of December. Um, I'm planning on going to Prestwich. Prestwich? Oh, yeah. for the uh, cup of minge. <laughs> Come to yep. Prestwich for a lovely cuppa and a minge pie. This is a flyer, by the way, that we obtained, and it's from Prestwich. is an area of Manchester, and it's the great Prestwich Christmas cuppa. Hosted by St. Mary's Church, Presswich. Wow, and you're going a day before just <coughs> to get in the queue. The 23rd, Saturday the 23rd. Oh, you say 23rd? Yep. What's the issue? I mean... They've used a, a font, haven't they? It's outside for a start. <laughs> I mean... They have used a font. Originally, when I first read this, I thought, oh, yeah, it kind of says Gupper, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, I thought Gupper. It says Gupper, doesn't it? And then, oh... Oh, they've used they've used a festive font. I don't know what it would be called on Microsoft Word. It's very yeah. it's like there are other <laughs> word processing uh, packages available. Can you still get Ami Pro? I don't know. Probably in your dimension, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, on this flyer they've used a font where the C's look like G's, mm. and so it looks a bit like the Great Presswich Christmas Gupper. Mm. Come to Presswich for a lovely cuppa and a minge pie. <laughs> a cuppa, a cuppa and a minge pie. <laughs> Let's bring our diverse community together. Community. By having a chat, a lovely free brew and scoffing a minge pie. <laughs> or two. Or, or two. <laughs> now this this links in nicely with the with the headline in that you know, you gotta keep your minge pie going you'll lose it oh you'll lose, lose it, it. So no I, so i have two minge pies get a scuffing and your clitoris won't fuse to your clitoris clitoral hood nobody needs to be alone at christmas <laughs> let's share some minge pies <laughs> make connections and meet our neighbors you're all welcome here this is your community <laughs> this is pressed week <laughs> hashtag minge pie moments oh god <laughs> Amazing. Oh, oh, I was hoping that would shame. go viral. <laughs> Hashtag minge pie in moments. Mm. So, yeah, that's a piece of gold, that. I love yeah, little, um, what do they call them, like, in, not in, in, 
involuntary. No. Mistakes that you're not meant to make. Have you seen, it reminds me of Kirby Enthusiasm, one of the earlier series. I think um, he buys a greetings card for a, a dead ant or something. Oh, and it says... A tiny yeah, ant. <laughs> a dead a t- aunt, auntie. <laughs> Uh, and goes to the funeral and gives gives this card and it's it's got a like a weird cursive font and it says beloved cunt. It's <laughs> <laughs> uh, hilarious. So, so cringy. I love it. New series coming soon as well. Really, I've not watched it for about ten oh, years. I know, I know. I need it to went away around. for like ten years, didn't it? And then did he start again or something? Yeah, I think he's immortal. He looked about ninety in the first series. <laughs> I think he was <laughs> must be in his seventies now. Do you think? Yeah. Easy. I think, it, I think um, the, the other person that he wrote, well, Jerry Seinfeld, I was going to write, who, who he wrote Seinfeld with, was, uh, I think he's nearly 70 or is 70 now. Is he? Yeah. It looks all right for it. That, oh, I was going to say Adrenic something, but never mind. <laughs> <laughs> you can't say it on YouTube. Uh, Keep your enthusiasm. I'll mm. do it. Go yes. back, maybe. I'll give it a shot. I'll give it a go. Maybe watch one a month. Yeah, that's about right. There's only like a thousand. 20, 27 a Look, month. Look, Larry David, Larry De David, <laughs> 75. Wow. Wow. Still, still can be asked at 75 to work. <laughs> wow. I bet it's good fun. Yeah, I imagine. So, it's all improv, isn't it? Apparently there's no script, only a script outline. Yeah, like what we're supposed to be doing and then everyone just cracks on. Yeah, and then they improvise it. Mm. Nice. His wife is 37. Of course she is. That's why his wife is. Yeah, he's his wife. Let's find out. Oh, you're giggling. Post a photo in the Consult the the book of knowledge. (laughs) (laughs) Paperwork's in the way. With. Got rid of Laurie David. Yeah, decent. Decent for a 75-year-old. Yeah. Wow. Is that it, Ashley Underwood? Was he married to Cheryl? I thought maybe he was. In the thing. I think in... Cheryl He said there, look. Look there. Laurie David. Above, above, above. Up, above, 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 above. Laurie. Down, 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 down. There, Laurie David. Laurie David. Laurie. And then Ashley. Down, 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 down. There. No, no, that's the same one. Marriage, 2020. Yeah, but, on the, ra- yeah, but on the right, look, that's oh, the other one. The other one. Oh, that's his wife before. Yeah, the before 64. wife. He got rid of because she was old. I mean... Yeah, 64. They fell out. There you go. I mean... Money! Could you be asked when you were 75? What, doing what? With a 37-year-old yeah, wife. Yeah, just, you know... I'm just wondering, you know, like... I was said this before as i've got older i've found older i was gonna say older women um oh i suppose yeah a wise man once said that money makes it taste better yeah exactly that's what's going on so you know i find older women more attractive um so like when i'm 75 do you think i'll fancy i'll fancy other 75 year olds maybe i don't know do you not think there's a ceiling to that that's the what older, I mean. That's the what I mean. Thing. I, th- yeah, like, I presume there is, yeah. Like 90. <laughs> I don't know. Just dust. Well, let's think. <laughs> who's who's a, re- a really hot old woman? Um, um, how old's Jane Andrew? Seymour. Yeah. She's yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> He's Jane. That's Jane. That's medicine woman, isn't it? 
<laughs> Henry the Eighth's wife. Is that not her name? Jane Seymour. <laughs> I think it is, yeah. Yeah. Are you thinking of Henry the Eighth's wife? Jane Seymour. Oh, I love that. Add him, please. Oh, look at that tapestry. Whoa, tossing it off. Only another 26 to go with this one. Some stately homes fucking drilling over the painting. <laughs> Jane Seymour. No, Who's the other one? There's another why, one. Are you, why are you kink shaming? Because you need to kink shame. Some, Some kinks deserve shaming. <laughs> uh, no, I was thinking like, uh, well, how old's uh, Angelina Jolie? She, I'm sure she'd still get it. She's very thin though, isn't but, she? But, no, I'm just saying like, wh- how old would she be? Late 40s, I reckon. Wow, I would really? say she was early 50s. Uh, well, right, can we think of someone older than that? Zeta still Jones? Hot? She's in that new Wednesday thing. Not seen it yet. I've watched yeah. it. I'll <coughs> watch it. I think it'll be uh, good up shout. Now. She's probably early 50s as well. So we're not thinking someone older than that. Madonna's well old, but she's broken. <laughs> Fuck that. No, she's uh, a bit nuts. Uh, Demi Moore? I saw someone the other day and thought, oh my God, she's a lot older than she looks. I mean, the problem we're having here is we're talking actresses, and I'm sure they've all had help. Hmm. Yeah, that's the thing. Just Google oldest fit woman. <laughs> you know, Demi Moore still, I guess. Yeah. I'll tell you who was an older actress I used to like. Um, was that one with the big chebs? Who was Amanda Donahue. Yeah. Who was it? Was she in Liar Liar? Yeah. She was his boss, no? Because she was in that film where they were naked. <laughs> They're in the film when they were naked for ages, weren't they? Oh, the one with um, the drunk guy, yeah. Oliver Reed. Yeah, they were like it was like a castaway kind of thing, wasn't it? Yeah, I remember that one. And she was naked all the time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Helen Mirren might fall into that category. What Helen being naked Mirren. all the time and being a hot older woman? Probably not now. I think she's probably. I think see. I think she's gone past the ceiling. You this see, this is the thing, isn't it? I think there is a ceiling. How do you feel about Maria Margulies? <laughs> I don't you think meet another cripple. <laughs> I don't want you to go gay. No, she doesn't do it for me. <laughs> Get back under your fucking bridge. <laughs> who's, uh, who's the oldest um, lady in this room, do you think? Well, now or then. Well, still the same, isn't well, it? Yeah. Due to the linear nature of time. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, let's keep or does it? Four dimensions. Um, um, it would be one of the deceased. It would be Carrie Fisher, I would imagine. Oh, Carrie yeah, Fisher, Ca- yeah. Carrie Fisher, yeah. Where is she? Over there. Underneath Arnold in Total Recall. Oh, yeah. ah, la, la, la. Or what about Esther Ranson then? Fuck no. She's a <laughs> po- <laughs> absolute yeah. poisonous, poisonous, <laughs> vacuous cunt. Esther Ranson, get in the sea. <laughs> She's always right, though. Yeah, yeah, swallow her up. No, she's a horrible fucking uh, eugenist. Wow, that's a, that's a statement to put out live stream on Oh, it's Kelly Brook now. What is? Yeah, it's about the same age as Matt. All right. <laughs> that old? I think I think she's a few years older. He don't give a fuck. He, he don't, he give, don't a give a fuck, no. Is it banter? 
Is it, if we got any more notes, then yeah, I've got a couple of bits. Yeah, I've got a couple on. of dangly bits. You want to chop off a dangly ham? Come on, I need to go and get some milk. <coughs> I need to scrape the inside of my car so I can see. I got a Biden clip from this week. Bo Jiden, Joe Biden, Bo Jiden, Bo Jiden, Bo Horseman, Bo Jack Horseman. Oh, that's another good one. Uncle Cornpop with the hairy legs. That's the one. Um, Pluto horn to cannibal. Sorry. Cole Pluter Horn, what's his name? He's accountable. Holding holding polluters accountable, I think he was trying oh, to right. say. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Cole Pluter what's, what's the wrong channel? I'm, I'm getting mixed up now. Channel, Bluetooth channel. Green, 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 green. It's also holds polluter, I'll call polluters accountable. With the most ambitious environmental justice agenda ever. <coughs> You're a lion dog faced pony soldier. That's my favorite because it is what it is, you know is what it is well it is what it is because you are who you are that's why it is wow philosopher for our age yeah poor old carl pluterhorn he always gets the blame he was being interviewed well he was like it wasn't a press conference because he doesn't do them but he was talking to the press about um opening in some new investment factories for making new nanometer microchips mm-hmm. and he got a bit mixed up We'll construct a second fab here in Phoenix to build chips, three nano chips, the three nano chip, chips that are three nano. And you know what I'm saying? No, yeah, I know he's saying three nano chips. Why has he got one eye closed? Because <laughs> Perry. <laughs> is he like? Do you think he is? Honestly, have, what's that condition where they have where you have mini strokes all the time? The condition. Yeah, TIAs is it? Yeah, TIAs. Yeah, TIA. Nano, no, no, I don't know. Build chips, three nano chips. <laughs> the three nano chip. Chips are three <sighs> nano. And you know what I'm saying. Nano, no, no, I don't know. Nanu, nanu. <laughs> he just looks so frail, doesn't he, as well? That's the other thing. Yeah, it's fucking ancient. But, it's old, man. Oh. You know, the whole thing is just mad. Like Trump is similar age, isn't he? A few years younger. He doesn't seem like frail like that. He just seems. Do you know who's older than Joe Biden? No one. Harrison <laughs> Ford. Yeah. Well, yeah. In the latest installment <laughs> of Indiana Jones. <laughs> Have you seen it? Have you it's seen the, the trailer? trailer? Yeah. I watched a bit of it. It didn't. I, I'm trying to think of. I can't remember there being anything bad in it. I imagine you were watching it with your through the prism of the message. Oh, the CGI where he's riding the horse is terrible. You can tell that's not his his head has been glued on there. Is he uh yeah. is he still flying that P fifty one Mustang around? Keeps crashing what well, the thing that he's crashed like yeah. twice. I don't know. I think he can still fly, yeah. Danger. They didn't the uh pilots association didn't tell me whether or not they'd uh, rescinded his licenses well, yet. Tell him you need to be kept abreast of these situations. <laughs> I'll write another letter. Thanks. Are you going to go and watch it? Uh, I, I don't imagine I'll see it in the cinema, no. It's not something I would go to watch in the cinema. Well, I, I went to the cinema this week. Oh. I watched Matilda the Musical. I thought it was quite good. How many mats would you give it? Four mats, I think. Four I mats. got emotional at times. Oh, God. Yeah, probably. I don't want to go and watch that. my testosterone leaking. Yeah. Um, I watched a film last night called The American. It's a George Clooney film from about 12 years ago, I think. Who's the female lead? Julia Roberts? No. 
He's the unknown. Oh. She's an unknown and mm. still is. But was, uh, I was telling my wife that it was just loads of naked scenes in it. This woman was just naked all the way through it, practically. All right. Which, you know, made it watchable. (laughs) (laughs) It was a bit dull. All right. I've not watched any films this week. You've been doing your homework, have you? I did watch a bit of uh, A Fish Called Wanda. I saw that was on a channel late at night. Oh, no, it's on the iPlayer. Oh, is it? Right, okay. You watch it on the iPlayer. (coughs) (coughs) It's good. I don't think I've watched that one all the way through. John Cleese, Mm -hmm. the main guy behind it. He wrote and co-produced it and started it, obviously. Uh, Kevin Klein, Yeah. Um, Melinda Gates, essentially. Um, <laughs> You've not seen that meme of Kevin Klein and no. Melinda Gates no. next to each other, the photos. The same person. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, M- Melinda Gates is essentially Kevin Klein's piece de resistance. Is the peak of his acting career. Oh, right. Taking on the role of Melinda Gates. <laughs> Maybe it's true. <laughs> Maybe the film's going to come out soon. <laughs> like Boyhood. Uh, what's that? Is it not like... It's, I'm sure it's... It might be called something else all the way through. Sorry, the title might change for each instalment, but it was a film that was... Kiddlehood. No, that's something else. That, uh, basically, it's filmed over the span of like 10 years or 20 years or something. I think it's been going oh, for 20 years yeah. and it follows the same family. It's got Ethan Hawke in it, and and it's the same actors, and they come back to it every five or ten years or something. Yeah, and they made a film. Yeah. There's a documentary series like that, isn't it? Seven Up. Seven Up, yeah. yeah. They go back every seven years. Mm. They're all dying now. Are they? Has it been going that long? I think so, yeah. A few of them have died, haven't they? I watched some of those on TikTok. That's another reason why I had to... There's clips of that. All dead of... 91. Well, no, just because it's in all these interesting little clips that it gets you with. Because, uh, you know, it's not good for my brain. It's not good for my dopaminergic cycle. I think you can extrapolate that to pretty much all social media. Yes, that's the whole thing behind it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But it's just been unleashed, hasn't it? Without a care in the world. No. So, it's weird. It's like I'm getting, I'm at the stage now where my eldest kids' peers are getting their own phones. Yeah, this is... It's like, thing. no, no fucking way. Not having it. You ain't having it. What are you, what, what are you going to wait for? Ever? So there's an adult. So what What would you consider I would say 16 years old minimum. Wow. For, being, for, for having access to social media. Mm-hmm. They're all on it, aren't they? That's the thing. So would well, you even give them a phone? Really, what you need to do is, is go around to the pa- parents and say, by the way... We're not giving phones out, mm. you know. And you know, the thing is, all the other mum and mum and dads will do, and mm. so your kid will probably be the odd one out. But you've got to do what's best for him at the end of the day, whether they like it or not. Um, he said, "It's asked me a few times." Said, "Yeah, I'll get, I'll get your phone, flip phone, and it'll do yeah, phone buttons. and text. That's it." Yeah, you have a smartphone. I don't know. Have you? I mean, your, your kids are probably a bit young. But your kid will be getting to that sort of age now. Is yeah, it something you've yeah. thought about? Uh, not really, giving it too much thought. She's got a tablet. She's not on any social media, though. No. So she's not asked for a phone, then, has she not? She's, yeah, she has mentioned it, and a couple of her mates do have a phone. Her cousin's got one as well. I think she's uh, similar age. Mm. So. I don't know. What, you don't know what the right thing to do is. It's different. 
you don't know what the right thing to do is, but the, the, my thinking is that it's not good for them in, as a general rule. Some kids will be able to handle it fine, other kids won't, and uh, it's probably not best to be exposed to that sort of psychological programming at such a tender age. No, I think when you have it there all at once, immediately on day one, we never had that. So mm. we went through the whole fucking... I remember when texts first came mm. out, SMS messages, <coughs> and you got two lines on the screen and all that sort of stuff. Mm. And it developed with us, whereas our kids are just going to have it instantly. And I guess you know they're taught about this a lot at school, online safety and all that, um, which is good, better than nothing. But you still got that danger of Pandora's box is is just open on day one. Mm. It's, not, it's not the safety issue that it's that's for me the online safety. It's the actual platforms, the the way they they weaponize your brain chemistry mm. and your psychology. It's like it's not. I'm worried about the guy fucking on you know on a going through a VPN <clears throat> and jerking off to your fucking kids. And, you know, getting them to post selfies. You know, I think me. You know, I'm not worried about that. Although, obviously, it's a hazard when your kids first go on the internet. It's the fact that the the, the big tech giants have teams of fucking psychologists that work for them purposely for the reason of making their platforms as addictive as possible for adults. You know, they're mm. trying to fool adults. You got to delete the fucking app because it's taking too much of your time away. <laughs> yeah. Right. Will a thirteen-year-old kid have the Stones to be able to do that? Will they just get sucked down that rabbit hole? It's like, I don't know. It's a tough one. And uh, I don't envy having to make these decisions, you know, anyone having to make these decisions. But at some point you've got to say, well, what's what's the rule going to be? We're going to have to make a rule on this. There'll be teenagers soon and whatever you decide will be the wrong decision and you will be the enemy. Well, this is it, you know. You're not... I'm not your mate. <laughs> Sounds shit, this. Obviously, I am. I'm your dad, and you're not having a bloody phone. <laughs> yeah, but this isn't the fashion. The fashion is, it's like, oh, I, I want to be my, my mm. daughter's best friend. She's, I'm a best friend. She can say anything to me. And, you know, there's a place for that, but at the end Parenting of the day... Parenting isn't about fashion. <laughs> yeah, you're not there to be the friend. You are Absolutely. the friend. You're the best friend they'll ever have in the world, but your job is to look out for them while they're still kids, mm-hmm. even if that makes you unpopular. Yeah, decisions unpopular. Mm-hmm. Tough one, isn't it? It's like um, uh, like this gaming, uh, chat gaming. You've got to put these, you know, when they play Fortnite and stuff, and they come in, they're chatting to mm. the mates and stuff. So you've got to put control measures in place, you know, so they can't be contacted by people who aren't friends, mm. things like that. You should have, like, a big national firewall or something that... <laughs> <laughs> Just can't access it. It's around the house. Well, outsource, <laughs> outsource that decision-making. Yeah, Faraday cage. Sorry, <laughs> phones don't work. Matt's got a good idea. Make your kids join MySpace first. Ah, yes. Just need MySpace. to go on the journey. Yeah, yeah. Be MySpace for a year, and then, then Bebo. Bebo, yeah. Did, like, Yahoo not buy Bebo for, like, ICT. 200 million or something? Godly amount of money. Yeah. <coughs> ICQ messaging, do you remember that? Nope. Okay. Nerd. Nerd. <laughs> MSN was one, but I never did that one. Um, people used to do that lots of places I worked, and that got switched off recently, didn't it? MSN messaging. Even Google failed. Google tried to start oh, their own. Yeah, it was. Oh, yeah. What was it? G Plus, Google Plus, and Google Hangouts and stuff like that. 
they, they wrapped it up recently. <coughs> right. Killed it. I mean, it had been it had been dormant for years. Yeah. They finally uh, nailed it down. What a coincidence! This is from Lola Cola on the chat. Right when I was Hello, sorry. Right when I started streaming this live vid, I see the number thirty-seven. My faith number is thirty-seven and seventy-three. L L Lee L L L Carl L seventy-three seventy-threes. Oh, is that is that the is that in yeah, Roman numerals? It's Gematria, is it not? Flip, flip it upside down and you get... Oh, yeah, they look the same, don't they? Uh, it's a par- paradoia. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> paradoia is more when you see it... Faces in. Yeah. What's yeah. that? Pattern recognition is mm. what it is. There you go. Thanks for that, Lola. I wonder where you've seen 37. You should go back and listen to episodes 37 and 73 and see if there's any significance. Yeah. Wow. And one, seven, three. Don't you do that. Know. <laughs> yeah. And seven and three. And then that. continue listening to episode 3773. Yeah. And if you get down to, uh, what's it called at the beginning? Oh. Pikachu and... Vinegar Stroke. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> screwdrivers. Something. Tiny screwdrivers and Pikachu. Yeah. Um, You've gone too far. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Way too far. Yeah, <clears throat> much too far. Right. Good. Last thing. Yeah, go on. Uh, we got sent this clip of uh, Ben Shepherd. He's a quiz show host in the UK. He hosts a show called called uh, Tipping Points. Yes. And I uh, got this video. I found this amusing. It's not nano chips. <laughs> in his epic poems, Homer often refers to nectar as the drink of the gods and which other substance as their food. Any ideas? Manner. In his epic poems, Homer often refers to nectar as the drink of the gods, and which other substance as their food? Uh, corn. Ambrosia. Oh, it? ambrosia, yeah. Ambrosia. I think. Let's see. Let's see the answer. I know we like donuts. Oh my god! <laughs> I think I'll go in. Donuts. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> One over to Lindsay. Lindsay? I would have said donuts as well. You'd have gone oh, Lindsay. Yeah, right up home the street. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's fantastic. They've got something mixed. They've, they've got the homers mixed up. Yeah, yeah. Oh. Rather than the homer of... It's happened, the doesn't Iliad. it? Of the Iliad and the Odyssey. <laughs> got the homer of Springfield. Yeah. <laughs> I like the little chuckle at the end. Poems, it's brilliant. Lindsay? Listen to Ben's chuckle. I would have said donuts as well. Beer and donuts, yeah. Right up home the street. We have a friend who does that kind of... Who does that? Peter does. Panhead? Yeah. He does, he does <laughs> make that exact sound, doesn't does, he? He does, yeah. He <laughs> does. Maybe it's because he's belittling us all for, for decades. Yeah. <laughs> and the sly. We're low-hanging fruit. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Motherfucker. Wow, that that was epic. Mm. Much like the many seasons of The Simpsons. Like, yeah, the uh, poem written in Springfield. What would some of Homer's poems be? Vegan sausage roll. Yes. Well, my favourite of Henry VIII's wives, Jane Seymour. (laughs) 
Right, well, the, the podcast is over. The room is just about warm enough now that <laughs> the back of my calves are no longer like ice. So sus, so sus, so sus. He vents to... He vents to electrical... Oh. Willie G. Willie G. Our song suite, Caroline, yesterday at Panto. Oh, did Went you? Went to pantomime yesterday. Oh, yeah. St. Anne's. Yeah. Uh, Lytham, Lowther L- Pavilion. Right, Lowther. Nice. Yeah, and they got us up swing, singing All Sweet Caroline and doing the arm waving like this right. at the end. Didn't do much good, did it? In what, what regard? Football something. All oh, right. I don't know. Right, should we go? Is yeah. it time to go? Based yes. Sigma Chad. You, you based Sigma Chad. Where are we going to? Isle of Cox. So we've got to the Isle of Cox. No, we're not going to like Somerset. What? Wagwan fam? <laughs> Wagwan fam, you're going to Somerset. Nice. <coughs> mm. right. All right. Well, thanks for listening again. Yeah. It's been our pleasure to entertain you for the last As always. couple of hours. Are you entertained? Are you not entertained? It's entertained. We showed you what we got. Mm. Um. You got caught sucking your fingers on the bus. Yeah, so uh, so thanks again, and um, we'll see you next week for some more fun and games. Yep. See you later. Good night, Matt. Good night. Good night. I love you. Epic dub. I think it's going to be the last proper show of the year next week. Last proper one? Why? What's happening in the one after that? Christmas Day. Are we not doing it? Oh, no, no, we're not doing it, you fucking loon. No. Oh my god. Yeah. Got beards. <laughs> I want his penis off my arm, please. Right. No, no. Say another. Thank you, bye. Won't you take it out? I can. Calm down. I am going to aim for the prostate in the men. Crisis in Plotland. I can't poo. That's it, man. Game over, man. Game over. Nano, no, no. I don't know. <laughs>